0: We started a sermon series two Wednesdays ago when we opened up, and uh, the sermon series was called Looking at Things Differently. How many's been here over the last two Wednesday nights and you've been a part of the sermon series? Let's look at it differently. And so tonight I'm going to end the sermon series and we'll start something new next Wednesday night. And just a reminder that on Wednesday nights we will continue to meet in here until August and we can have our classes in small groups in August. But for the summer we'll just meet in here and Sunday mornings obviously and Sunday nights at six o'clock. All right, so uh, until August and then we'll enter into our growth point semester. But uh, let's go to the Lord tonight, and we're going to do part three. Let's look at this differently. And what we've done the last few weeks, we have looked at a few stories in the Bible, and uh, we have looked at the traditional view of the interpretation of that scripture, and then we've looked at it differently. We looked at it from a different lens. And so tonight I am want to do that again, but I'm not particularly looking at a particular story tonight. I just want you to look at things differently in life, all right? And I want to go to the Word of God, and hopefully this, this really ministered to me today as I was studying, and so hopefully it will minister to you. And so I want you to know that I don't get up here just to preach sermons so I can draw a paycheck. I hope that you all know that. hope you really know that I'm not up here just preaching so I can get a paycheck. I would do it without a paycheck. You see what I'm saying? Because that's what I'm called to do. I love to do what I do. So that's not what I'm, what I'm doing. So if I'm, if I'm giving my best, I'm asking you to give your best. Is, is that all right? So I, I want you to open your heart. And how can you do your best tonight? Open your heart and be receptive. All right? And, uh, and, and I, I believe it can be transformative. I didn't just go to the internet and just grab something off the internet and You know, put it in the microwave and heat it up for five minutes and come to church and give it to you That's not how I function now. I may learn some things from people. I think that's good But I always take it to prayer and ask the lord how it can relate to all of us and me dig through the scriptures And give you something that I feel like the holy spirit wants to say I am all for sermon series But I want to be led by the spirit if the spirit changes it I want to change it, all right? And there are times that I've had a sermon series and got up at 6 o'clock Sunday morning and just changed the whole sermon, and I've just had to tell them I'm not going to preach that because I feel like I need to do something else. And I never regret doing that because always when I do that, I always sense a confirmation of the Holy Spirit, so I'm not going to be a preacher that's going to stick to sermon series all the time. I will do them because I will prepare. I will do my part. But if the Lord steps in and speaks something else, I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? So I just want you to know. So there will be times I'll say, I'm doing this sermon series, but it's subject to change. All right. So if I hear something, but tonight I do feel like I got something to tell you. And I feel like if you open your heart, it could be transformative in your life. And um, I'm going to bring out, I'm going to bring out six principles tonight that we need to look at it differently. You, you may have heard these things before, but I want you to look at it from a different light and a different perspective. These six things are the six keys of, um, these are six reminders of spiritual growth, all right? Six reminders of spiritual growth. These are reminders about spiritual growth, all right? These are things that I want you to remember concerning spiritual growth, all right? Everybody say this with me. These are things I need to remember about spiritual growth. And I want you to see it from a different perspective. Now how many would raise your hand and say, Pastor Josh, I am, in ag- I am in agreement with you that as a Christian, as somebody who loves Jesus, as somebody who is pursuing after the heart of Jesus, I should be intentionally moving forward and not back. How many would raise your hand and say that, that, that is very important? I should be intentionally moving forward and I shouldn't be moving back. Now if you're moving back, you know when I was growing up in old school Pentecost, and if you know anything about old school Pentecost, I got saved every Sunday night. And do you know why I got saved every Sunday night? Because they called it the evangelistic service. And I remember Sister Roy preaching, I promise you, her veins popped out of her neck. They preached hell. I ain't joking. I know we're laughing tonight, but this is the truth. They preached hell so hot, I remember as a child crying because I remember telling my grandmother on the front row, I don't want to go to hell, grandma. (laughs) And my grandma's response was, well, baby, you better go to the altar and pray. She didn't comfort me. She just wanted me to go to the altar and pray. So every Sunday night, I was always getting saved. And I grew up in the old church that when you got saved, they cast the devil out of you the same night, all right? All right? And, uh, <laughs> you know, and then you got purged, you know, and then they and they'd get a, some toilet paper and wipe around your, your mouth because you're getting pur- You know, I was raised old school church where they took the oil out and rubbed it all over your lips to get the Holy Ghost. And if that didn't work, they got the Bible out and smashed it in your face. And we would pray to 11 o'clock until you spoke in tongues. Can I hear an amen? And so that is the environment that I grew up in. So that is why, can I just be real with you? That is why. I really can't stand weak Christianity. And really it kind of makes me sick when I get around weak Christians, because I was raised in the fire and I can't live in the smoke. See what I'm saying? I was raised in the fire. I was raised in that, but I was also raised in dysfunction. I was raised around suicide and drugs and alcohol. You name it, I saw it all. I had to persevere through all of it. I don't want your pity party tonight. Don't come to me. Don't pat me on the back. I don't. That's not what I'm saying. I was just raised in an environment, Stephanie, you were too, where I had to push through and serve Jesus in spite of everything that's happening around me and love Jesus. So that's why I don't really I have very I'm, loving, I'm a loving pastor. I'm a Loving pastor, and I love love you very, very, very much. But I cannot stomach weak, sickly, cowardly Christians who think to God that the only time they can come to church is Sunday morning because they're so worn out, it's impossible for them to ever make it to a Sunday night or a Wednesday because it's just too much. So so that just you know, that just doesn't, you know, and we want to do exploits for Jesus. But we can't even make it to another church service in a week. You know, see what I'm saying? We are so programmed with an American mindset that we don't understand what a biblical mindset truly is we're so programmed with we're so americanized we do church like the american way to do church we do business like the american way you know they vote because we're a republic so we think we got to vote on everything in the church you see how we're so conditioned to think the american way instead of the biblical way all right and the biblical way is a theocracy not a democracy you see what i'm saying and so and so we're so programmed to think that way that if anything different comes along we're shocked we're shocked. That we have to suffer, and we're shocked that we have to go through things, and we're because we, we're American Christians, and so we have a hard time understanding that. And one of the things that I, as a child, dedicated myself to as a child was this. I remember thinking this as a child. I want to be a Christian who loves Jesus with all my heart. I wanted the passion, I wanted the fire. Whatever I felt as a child, Brother Hookel, whatever I felt as a child, that feeling that I felt, I wanted to keep it. I mean, I want, I could, I I, I remember feeling the fire. I remember crying. I remember being pulled to the front and I'd come to the front and I honestly, there would be times I would be praying as a child and it felt like somebody took oil, poured it all over my head. I remember one time, I, I don't know, I was 11 years old. The power of God came in to a church service I was at and I shook under the power of God for two solid hours. I never forgot that. They carried me to the bed at 11 years old. Something happened to me. And so as I got older, I never, I knew that that experience was real. I knew there was something to it, but also I knew that I wanted to grow in the word and there were some things I didn't know. Can I hear an amen? And so that is why one of my favorite motto statements is from John Wesley. John Wesley said the greatest threat to the kingdom of darkness in the last days would be an anointed intellectual. And I believe that you could have both. You could be anointed and then you can know the word at the same time how many knows amen you can you can be you, your head can be touched and your heart can be touched if you, listen, if you know, if it's all about the Word, listen, you're going to dry up. If it's all about the Spirit, you're going to blow up. But if you have both, you're going to grow up. we got to have the combination of the Word and of the Spirit. And so I come from that environment where I want to know the Word, I want to dig in the Word, but at the same time, I love the Spirit and I love that aspect of it, and I think both of them together is very, very important. I said that to say this, is that if we're going to grow in Jesus... The Spirit is important, but also the Word is important as well. Both of them working together causes growth in a Christian's life, all right? The Spirit and the Word working together. The Spirit and the Word. It's even found in Genesis chapter number 1. And God said, and then the Bible says, the Spirit hovered over the waters. So the spirit was working and God's word was working. And when you have God's word working and God's spirit working, then that causes transformation. The world was transformed by the word of God and by the spirit of God. And if the word of God and the spirit of God can change the world, which was formless and dark and void into something beautiful, what would happen to your life if the spirit and the word was working in your life? So a combination of spirit and word, and that is why our motto statement has changed. We want to develop disciples who love God with all their heart, with all their head, with all their heart, hands, and feet, because all of them working together produces spiritual growth. Now, I want to give you six reminders about spiritual growth. Number one, don't ever forget this. If you're going to grow in God, don't ever forget this. God will always change you before he changes your situation. You see, I want you to look at it differently. How we have been so programmed to think that God will change the situation. God changed the circumstance. God, get me out of the fire. God, get me out of the pit. God, get me out of this situation. But I want you to look at it differently. And the Holy Spirit is saying tonight, I'm not necessarily going to change your situation. I'm not necessarily going to change what you are in, but I'm going to change you before I change the situation. I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody wave your hand up in this building. Say, Lord, change change me, change me. And I want you to begin to look at things differently tonight. Look at things differently. Let's reverse our prayer saying, Lord, get me out of this location. And that's what happens when people become uncomfortable. They want to change locations. And what the Holy Spirit is saying, it's not a location thing. It's an inner in depth thing. God wants to do something in you, not necessarily change your location. All right. And so the Holy Spirit is saying tonight, what I want to do in you is greater than what's happening to you. Isn't it interesting that the prophet of the prophet Isaiah said this concerning Jesus? The prophet Isaiah said concerning the coming Messiah that Jesus was going to be a shoot dry, uh, uh, shooting forth out of dry ground. He was going to be a branch shooting forth out of dry ground. And I've read that scripture before and it never really dawned on me what the Holy Spirit was trying to say. Jesus, the coming Messiah, the prophet Isaiah said he is going to be like a branch coming up out out of dry ground. In other words, a branch doesn't really grow in dry ground. In other words, you're going to grow in spite of your environment, in spite of what's happening around you, in spite of how dry it may be around you, you're going to be a tree, you're going to be a branch, and you're going to have the ability to grow in dry places. Let me tell you something, location isn't the key. What the Holy Spirit wants to do, he says, I want to change you so that you have the ability to grow and flourish in dry and wilderness places. I'm going to cause you to grow in dry places. God will change you before He changes your situation. Number two, this is a reminder of your spiritual growth is that you can't go with your feet where your faith hasn't been. You can't go with your feet where your faith hasn't been you know as a pastor I can encourage you to give to the Lord I encourage you to be generous I can encourage you to go knock on doors and win the lost I can encourage you to step out in faith and do and believe God for exports I can I can encourage you as a matter of fact I can get up here and take this microphone and I could preach really hard and I bet I probably could have get at least 20 of you stand to your feet because I've preached long enough I know how to do it you see I, so I can I can pull the ropes I can get your emotions All wild up and round up and you can get excited, but you see emotions make you sign up. They don't make you show up. All right. Emotions make you sign up. They don't make you show up. Emotions make you sign up. They don't make you show up. And my friends, if you're going to progress in God, emotions are important. Emotions are important. They can be an indicator, but your emotions should never be a gauge. Your emotions should never be a gauge of your spiritual life. Life. It can be an indicator of something, but it should never be a gauge in your life. You should never make decisions because you are emotional. It should never be a gauge to make decisions. It can be an indicator sometimes, but it never should be a gauge in your life. The scripture says, Paul says to the Ephesus church, the Ephesians church, that the Ephesus church, that you should walk in the spirit so that you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Sometimes you got to go beyond the reason. Beyond the lot, that's important. Sometimes faith causes you to risk. Sometimes faith causes you to step out and do and to perform a risk that normally you wouldn't do. And one of the things that I realize is that you, your feet will never go if your faith is not there. Your faith has to be built. And that is why in some churches, let let me explain something to you. In some churches, the culture and the atmosphere is more conducive to miracles. Do you know why? Because the sermon maybe is preached more in that direction. The man of God prepares people to believe for the supernatural. Expectation is the breeding ground of miracles. So faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when the word of God is going forth on a continual basis, it increases people faith to believe the thing in which the man of God is preaching and that is why in certain churches the culture and the atmosphere is more conducive to miracles because people are more more receptive to the word of God they receive the word of God and they anticipate what the man of God is saying is really true can I hear an amen I remember going to a church of 5,000 people when I was in Bible college. 5,000. On a Sunday morning, it was probably 6,000 people. And then I was there doing camp meetings, and there was 20,000 people. I was literally there, and I saw miracles with my own eyes. I saw people get up out of wheelchairs and walk. I remember this one baby was born without uh, half of a brain. The baby was deformed, and I remember we prayed over that baby on a Sunday morning. The power of God was so strong. I mean, it was so strong. And I remember the baby getting healed and Channel News 12 came to the church a month later, and Charisma Magazine was there on a Sunday morning to interview the family where the baby got healed. And I often wonder, why did it happen there, and it doesn't happen in our churches? Because numbers can dictate the level of faith. When there is people in the building, because see, we get distracted by empty seats. No matter if you see, no matter, subconsciously, we get distracted by it. And there is, there was a level of faith in the building. When you have people packed in a room, believing God to do something, the level of faith increased. And even people who are doubting, their faith begins to change. Their faith comes up to the level of the crowd. And that is why if there is a smaller crowd and 10 of you is in a bad mood, all of us knows about it. See what I'm saying? All of us know about it. But if the whole room is packed, five of you in a bad attitude and fighting with your spouse and kicking the dog and kicking the sp- we don't know about it. You see, that is why it's important when we come together that we are all in one mind and one accord, believing God for the same thing. And that is why I have you come to the front and we believe God for the same thing week after week because it helps increase our faith, it's focused prayer and we believe in the same thing. So listen, our level of faith has to be conducive to our walking. If our level of faith is not conducive to our walking, we're not going to step out and in, in, in risk. So how do I build up my faith? You build your faith by listening in the Word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If your faith is low, your intake of the Word is low. Let me say that again. If your faith is low, the intake of the Word of God in your life is low. I'm going to say it again. If your faith is low, that means the intake of the Word of God in your life is low. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if I'm going to get more faith... There's a measure of faith already given to you. You only need a faith as a grain of a mustard seed. But sometimes it's hard to even produce that. So your level of faith has to be at the same level of the Word of God, the intake of the Word of God in your life. Amen? So I encourage you, let's believe God for big things. Alright? Let's raise our level of faith. Let's hear the Word of God. And that is why the enemy wants to distract when the Word of God is going forth. Because if he can distract you while the Word of God is going forth, then he can distract your level of faith tonight. Alright? It is faith that pleases God. Not your emotions. Faith is pleases God. The just shall live by faith nothing is impossible to him that believeth so it's faith that pleases god not your emotions not our singing not our sermons not our church services not our buildings it's faith that moves the hand of god not the length of your prayer not your education it's faith that moves the hand of god If if we're not in faith, the scripture says we're in sin. So we got to move in faith tonight. All right, number three. Number three, longevity is the key. Longevity is the key. One of the things you got to realize tonight, you got to outlast the devil. I'm going to say this loud. I'm going to say it clear. You have to outlast the devil tonight. You got to outlast him. You got to outlast the liars and the haters and the cheaters. Outlast them. The Spirit of the Lord is saying tonight, do you have enough longevity on the inside of you to outlast the haters and the cheaters and those who despitefully use you? Do you have enough longevity in you to outlast that? Longevity is the key. And I know we get up in church and we celebrate mission trips and there's nothing wrong with mission trips. There's nothing wrong with building church buildings. There's nothing wrong with doing these things that we do for Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. We celebrate people who go on short-term mission trips. We raise thousands of dollars to send people on short term mission trips and that's good and fine but listen what impresses me more is not somebody getting on a plane and going to a foreign country preaching the gospel what impresses me is somebody being faithful and having longevity through the trials and tribulations of life and not giving up that's what impresses me longevity do you have the ability and the stick ability to endure to the very end longevity longevity I like this and this is my favorite point number four God does subtraction. God does do subtraction but let's also remember that he does multiplication yes in times God's plan subtraction is God's plan Sometimes things are subtracted to you from your life so that God's glory may be seen. That is true. But also let's remember that He is a God that multiplies. He's a God that is more than enough. I'm reminded of these scriptures that I think is so very, very important. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, excuse me, Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 7. I want you to listen to the verbiage here. Now in the context here, it talks about people being born. It's talking about God established His covenant with Abraham. But I I just want you to see the words multiply I want you to see these words being reused over and over in the narrative here in Exodus chapter number one verse seven look at what it says here but the children of Israel were fruitful and they increased abundantly do you see that multiply and grew exceedingly mightily and the land was filled with them Exodus chapter number one verse number eight now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph and he said to his people look at the people and the children of Israel for they are mightier than we verse number 9 come let us deal surely with them lest they multiply and it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and they also go out of this land do you see the context here the, the people of God are growing the people of God are multiplying they are multiplying look at Genesis chapter number 1 verse 22 subtraction is God's plan, but multiplication is God's plan as well. Genesis chapter number 1 verse 22 and God blessed them, speaking of Adam and Eve, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. The point is God does subtract in our life but multiplication is his plan also. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 28, look at it in the narrative over and over you see God commanding multiplication. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. What about Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 1? Genesis chapter 9 verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The Bible says in Genesis 9 verse 7, Genesis chapter 9 verse 7, and as for you, be fruitful and and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. I can go on and on. I mean, there is a plethora of scriptures throughout the scripture where God has commanded multiplication, multiplication. Now, obviously you see a different context here, but I'm applying it practically to your life that sometimes subtraction is God's plan, but there are times that multiplication is God's plan as well. God doesn't only take, God also gives. Is there anybody in the building that can testify that he is a God that multiplies. He is a God that multiplies. Genesis chapter 17 and verse number 2. Genesis chapter 17 and verse number 2. He's speaking to Abraham about the covenant that God was going to establish. He says, I'm going to make a covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. I'm about to shout up in this Pentecostal church up in here. Somebody throw your head back, wave your hands, and say, thank God he not only multiplies, but he does it exceedingly. He does it exceedingly. He does it exceedingly. The Bible says, in genesis 26 verse 24 another scripture i can just go on about all these scriptures all right this will make a baptist shout tonight and the lord appeared to him the same night and said i am the god of your father abraham do not fear i am with you i will bless you and i will multiply your descendants He says, I'm going to be with you, but I'm also going to multiply your descendants. Genesis chapter 35 and verse number 11. And God said to him, I am the God Almighty. Be fruitful, be multiplied. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you and kings shall come from your body. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 6. In verse number 7, there's all kinds of scriptures even in the New Testament. And the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. I want to let you know tonight. That multiplication is God's plan. Do you know why? For him to get the glory. You can't do it in yourself. You can't multiply it in yourself. You don't have the ability. You don't have the resources to do it. But God says, I will be your reward. I am your God. I am the everlasting father. I'm the architect of the universe. I'm the manager of all things. And if I said it, you can bank it that it's going to come to pass. I am the God that can multiply. I'm the God that can multiply. Can somebody just wave your hand and stand to your feet and receive multiplication tonight? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray tonight that our faith would be, uh, our faith would rise up tonight that we would believe you for multiplication in Jesus' name. And I feel the Holy Spirit tell me to tell some of you, you need to start asking the Lord for big things. Come on, stretch your faith and begin to ask God for big things. Quit praying this little prayers. All right. You say, well, I'm not, and some of you are wrestling with your worth, and the Holy Spirit is saying tonight, it's not about whether you feel worthy or not. It is His blood that makes you righteous. It is His blood that makes you stand worthy in His sight. It's not about whether you are worthy or not. It is about His sacrifice. It's about what He has done. That makes you worthy, and you need to come into the throne of grace boldly and present your need before God, and if God doesn't answer it, you're spiritually mature enough to understand Understand that he sees all things, he knows all things, and he knows what's best. But in the meantime, let's believe God for big things. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, you know what the Holy Spirit is saying? This is what the Holy Spirit just said. Your faith is not resting in the answers to your prayers. Why do we think that our faith should increase if our prayers are answered? That shows how spiritually immature we are. Your faith shouldn't decrease because your prayer has not been answered your prayer should in, your your faith should increase because a spiritually mature Christian would understand I am not God he sees all things and understands all things and if I don't get the answer to what I'm asking God for that doesn't mean I'm gonna decrease my faith it means I'm going to continue to pursue after him because in reality I can't make it without him Amen. so let's be delivered let's be delivered from this mindset that my faith is dependent upon an answer to a prayer that I've been praying has nothing to do with it. Amen. Can I finish my sermon real quick? Number five. One of the things I've learned out learned is this: is that you're not going to burn out; you leak out. Christians don't get up one day and say, "I'm not going to serve God anymore." There's a leaking out. I don't believe in burnout. That's—I don't even think that exists. I think people leak out because this is a journey. All right, the reason that your tire blew on the highway is because something was wrong with the tire. You had a blowout but there was something wrong with the tire before the blowout and the reason that Christians blow out is because there are problems along the way and they're so busy working in life that they don't work on their life and if you don't work on your life life has a way of slowing you down so we're not gonna blow out you're not gonna burn out you just leak out and lastly I want you to see this differently. I want you to see that the Bible, number six, the Bible isn't that hard. And for Christians, we seem to think that the Bible is hard. We can't pronounce the words, it's boring, I don't understand it, and granted, there are some sections in the Bible that is boring. That does not mean I don't believe the Bible is inspired. It is the Word of God, but there's, when you're reading through genealogies, that's, that's kind of boring. Can I hear an amen? Amen. But this is the perspective that you need to have to happen. My, My fleshly man may think it's boring, but since I believe it is the Word of God, I'm going to sit here and be disciplined. Even though I think it's boring, it's still getting in my soul. It's still getting into my spirit, so what's happening in me is greater than what's happening to me. So you have to change your perspective. Instead of looking at it like it's boring, look at it as feeding my spiritual man, and I don't like to eat broccoli all the time, but I'm going to force myself to sit here and eat this broccoli anyway in Brussels sprouts. can choose what they want to read you're not a child read the whole thing it's not that hard if I if I had to tell you what the Bible's about let me just break it to you you ready I'm gonna make it really simple this is simple put it up there in the Old Testament you know what the Old Testament's about it's about Jesus it's about a group of people that's always messing up under the law and they're looking for someone to come and deliver them so the Old Testament's about he's coming the Gospels about he's here acts is let's go and tell everybody the epistles is well how do you get to know him and revelation is he's coming back you see the perspective very simple Old Testament It's about a group of people who ran after foreign gods and always got in trouble, and a bunch of prophets are writing a bunch of scrolls, seeing visions and dreams because they saw a coming destruction that's going to happen to God's people. But they also saw in the destruction somebody coming from the lion of the tribe of Judah. Somebody that's going to sit on the throne of King David and is going to rule the nations with a scepter. So they were looking for his coming. The Gospels tell us that he's here. Acts tell us, well, let's go tell everybody he's here. Let's baptize people and tell the story. Epistles tell us how to live. The book of Revelation tells us that he's coming back. So let's change our perspective. The Bible ain't that hard. If you think it's hard and you tell your children it's hard, then they're going to grow up with a distaste of the Bible. They're not going to eat the broccoli. Listen. Sometimes you've got to add cheese to the broccoli. Add cheese to the broccoli. But let's eat it because it's healthy. All right? If you've got to get note cards, get note cards or write the scriptures out. If you've got to get a Bible app and let it read to you, that's all right. Add cheese to the Bible. Just whatever you've got to do, get the Bible in you. And there should be no reason at the end of the year why we didn't read the Bible through. On December the 31st, when I ask for people to come to this front... And show me who read the Bible through. There should at least be a hundred people in this church that's read the Bible. There should be no excuse. Why because I gave you tools, I even made a booklet for you. I did my part, and there should be no reason. And I'm being very strong about this. Because eighty-two percent of Christians don't read the Bible through. There should be no reason. Say, Pastor, I'm behind. I don't care whether you're behind. If you're not intentionally going forward, you're unintentionally going back, you should be making progress going forward. I don't care if you're five books behind, just stay on the bandwagon and don't give up. Amen. Can I hear an amen? But it should be, you should be pursuing after the Word of God because it is your, it would be wrong of me as your pastor not to strongly encourage you and challenge you to read the Bible. As a matter of fact. I think it's sad that pastors have to tell their congregations to read the Bible. But that's the generation we live in, all right? So, and I'm not saying you don't read the Bible. I am making a blanket statement, okay? So don't leave my church and post on Facebook and get offended, all right? I'm making a blanket statement that it appears, according to statistics, that Christians don't read the Bible. And I'm asking you, let's read the Bible, It's not that hard. Let's get the Bible inside of you. And one of the things I've discovered, if you're reading the Bible, you need to pray first before you read the Bible. Because if you read the Bible without praying first, when you read the Bible, you will think it's for someone else instead of you. So when you begin to read the Bible without praying, you'll read through the Bible. And as you're reading through the Bible, you're thinking, well, I just wish so-and-so could read this because if they'd read this, they'd really get free you see what I'm saying but if you pray before you read the Bible your heart is more receptive to receive what the scriptures are saying to you instead of someone else so what can we learn tonight we learn number one that God will change you before he changes a situation we learn number two that you can't go with your feet where your faith hasn't been number three longevity is the key. Number four, subtraction is God's plan. He does do that. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away but blessed be his name. But multiplication is also his plan. Number five, you don't burn out, we just really leak out. You need to change your perspective. Look at it differently. The Bible isn't that hard. Because what's happening in you is greater than what's happened to you. Did you enjoy the word of the Lord tonight? I said, did you enjoy the word of the Lord tonight? Now we have 15 minutes, and I want us to pray over our prayer request. And I know that prayer is discipline, but prayer is the discipline of dependency on God. That's what prayer is. It's dependency on God. Amen? You ever met somebody who says, boy, I just want more of Jesus, want more of Jesus, want more of Jesus? It's ironic that we have, what, 60 people tonight, but everybody says they want more of Jesus because prayer is not popular. You have to work, all right? Getting more of Jesus is not somebody laying hands on you. That could be an aspect, but getting more of Jesus is only found in prayer, nothing more Nothing less. It's a prayer.